Good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Sunday for Sunday, March 12th, 2023. We've got another great show for you this week as members of the media, academia, financial services, and government stand by to analyze all the news and events for the week. So sit back, relax, enjoy this episode of BRN Sunday. off the show as we always do with a look at what's happening on capitol hill in terms of legislation regulation and litigation joining us on the line from parts unknown are the legal eagles david levine kevin walsh both are principals with groom law group that's an employee benefits law firm based in washington dc gentlemen great to talk to you thanks for joining us this morning jeff as always thanks for having us it's really great to be with you all right, Kevin, let's, uh, David, always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Thanks for making some time for us. I know you guys are busy this morning. Uh, Kevin, let's, let's talk a little budget. I know that's an, that's an area of interest for you and David this week. Yeah, happy to talk a little bit about the budget. And, you know, on, on Thursday, March 9th, President Biden released his budget for the upcoming fiscal year. And, you know, one thing to keep in mind with these budgets is that it, it's really kind of a proposal and Congress has got to act on it. And, and right now we have a divided Congress. So, uh, many of the proposals in the budget are, are more campaign points than, you know, likely policy outcomes. Um, but in the retirement space, there's a, a, you know, proposals that, that seem to come up from time to time. And, and, you know, we really want to highlight one of them this week, um, which is, you know, proposals that relate to caps, the amount of money that folks can have inside their, you know, 401k or inside their retirement accounts. Um, and we saw these types of proposals first with, you know, Build Back Better, uh, which was, you know, proposed in, in 2020 um, or 2021. And we saw it, you know, in early versions of that. Um, and now we're seeing again a proposal which, you know, according to, um, you know, Treasury's projections would save the government about $22 billion, um, which would be to cap the amount of money um, that individuals can have in their 401k and IRA accounts, um, and essentially to, to force folks to take distributions if their uh, accounts exceed that amount. Um, you know, it's going to be important to watch these proposals because you know tax proposals once they come up uh, tend to you know come up again and again as as you know we've highlighted with this. Um, now, so that that that's one thing I, I can't imagine that it's going to gain too much traction this Congress. Um, you know, as we've, we've got a divided Congress, but, you know, the budget does highlight that, you know, if we're going to keep our entitlement programs going, um, the government's going to need to find, you know, significant new sources of revenue. Um, I mean, that's just kind of one of the, the key things. But, you know, from a retirement angle, it's uh, it's an important one to watch uh, when looking at the budget. David, do you want to highlight anything else about, you know, the, the budget proposal or should we take a, a deeper look at it another week? I think we take a deeper look another week, and we keep it for a short week with you, Jeff. Okay. Uh, well, gentlemen, um, uh, certainly appreciate it. I, I think there, you know, the entitlement programs. I've been reading a lot about the budget, uh, Medicare, Social Security. This is going to be something I think we're going to be talking about not only this week and next week, but for weeks to come. Gentlemen, we're going to leave it there. Always great to talk to the Legal Eagles. Thanks for stopping by, and we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. 
Yeah, thanks for having us on, Jeff. And, you know, it is going to be important to watch, you know, the revenue these get raised if if these long-term entitlements like Social Security and Medicare are going to remain on solid footing. So thank you, listeners. Thank you. Bye, guys. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Are you stuck with a low credit score? A credit report and score that's causing you to be denied credit or pay higher interest rates than others for the same things? Then do what Terrence did and called Credit Repair for your free credit evaluation to help restore your credit. I started thinking about buying a new house and my score wasn't where I needed it to be. I called and spoke with one of the representatives and we just had a good conversation and I I liked what he was saying. Just one call for his free credit evaluation was all it took to start back on the track to repairing his credit. I'm seeing the deletions and I'm getting the report so I know something's being done. It does make a difference to me. All it takes is one call to get started. Credit Repair has given me a second chance to have a better credit score. Don't let a low credit score hold you back another day. Do what Terrence did and make the call for your free credit evaluation. Call 800-819-4152. That's 800-819-4152. Again, 800-819-4152. Welcome back. Now, time to talk. Marcus joining us on the line. He's the lead anchor for the TD Ameritrade Network, Oliver Rennick. Oliver, great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Absolutely no problem, Jeff. So I was going to start off by asking you about uh, NFL free agency. Does that sound like a good topic to you? Uh, no, nothing about it. <laughs> okay. Okay. There's just a lot of talk. I know this isn't ESPN or uh, Fox Sports. All right, Oliver. Uh, to, getting down to serious brass tacks here, uh, Jerome Powell, uh, I, I guess, made some comments this week and want to get your reaction and um, kind of where the market is headed. Yeah, this has uh, been quite a week, a uh, bit of a roller coaster. Uh, stock bulls are fighting to uh, stay in it, but uh, certainly some pretty bearish developments this week overall. It first started with Powell sounding a little bit more hawkish than he did last month in his uh, first day of testimony. 
And uh, we had a very interesting market reaction to that. So that was Tuesday. He came out, said they're very serious about getting inflation below 2%, that they are very intent on that as their goal, and that uh, it may require more interest rate hikes, more than the market expects because of last month's data, which was very hot. We had that big employment report where NFP added over 500,000 payrolls, and we had every inflation print coming in hot. So it makes sense that he started off a little bit more aggressive. The market reaction to that was very interesting. We saw the dollar climb, which is what you would expect if the Fed is going to kind of reclaim the spotlight among global central banks as the leading inflation fighter. But we saw a very interesting move in bonds and in the stock market. What we saw in bonds was that the long bond yields were actually very limited in their upside. Now, they have already moved very substantially over the past couple months. So the bond market seemed to have pretty accurately predicted his hawkish turn on Tuesday, and they didn't really have any more to go. So yields kind of flatlined. Now, two-year yield continued to rip higher, and short-term yields continued their aggression to the upside. But then Wednesday – well, before I get to Wednesday, actually – Also on Tuesday, what was very important is that in the stock market, banks and financials were the worst performers. This is very different because last year, when Powell gets hawkish or inflation is warmer than expected, the worst performers in the stock market are tech companies. Investors revalue the tech companies, literally their valuations, based on higher interest rates and yields, and that was the main drag on the market. To see financial stocks on Tuesday look really soft, and a lot of people did not catch on to this, but it was the entire focus of our programming on Tuesday and Wednesday morning was the sell-off in regional banks and mid-sized financial companies. And this is very important because these are at the real core of the economy. Regional banks are the places we go to get a home loan, the places small businesses go to help start up. They really are the lifeblood of the economy. And to see them buckle under hawkish words from Jerome Powell suggests the market was becoming more concerned about the strength of the economy than it was really the valuation pressure that might come from higher interest rates. So then Wednesday, Powell tries to soften up his tone a little bit and says, hey, look, we haven't committed to 50 basis points because the market totally went towards 50 basis points on Tuesday, started pricing in 50 bips. Wednesday, Powell says, hold on, well, we haven't decided anything. It's not set in stone. Too late, basically. We can read between the lines. We know that they're going to have to stay aggressive in some form. They certainly are nowhere in any universal proximity of cutting rates. (laughs) They are going to have to hike to some degree, whether it's 25, 25, 25, or 25, 50, or whatever it is. The tone that we heard from Powell after last month's data tells us he has to stay on the throat of inflation and keeping it down. But then the problem is that the market started sussing out some real instabilities in the underlying economic condition. And that takes us really into Thursday and Friday, where banks started selling off, crypto started crashing, and you had an explosive move in the bank-to-the-crypto world Silvergate 
which just collapsed and voluntarily shuttered their operations. And then on Friday, we wake up to a sort of systemic event late Thursday and Friday, a bit of a systemic event that spread out from the epicenter of crypto into Silicon Valley Bank, which has a bunch of tech and VC exposure in Silicon Valley. And then by the time of the opening bell on Friday morning, you had everyday banks across the nation, like First Republic, crashing down 40 to 50 percent in a financial style panic that we have not seen since the great financial crisis. And that is where we're at. So, Oliver, I mean, you, you bring up the you know, the lifeblood of the economy, which is being able for small small business being able to get loans. Um, how do you how do you process all this? I mean, if you're a let's take retail investors, forget the institutional investors for a second. How do you process all of this? Because I, I would think that up until this week, there was a lot of jubilation or maybe mid part of the week. There's a lot of jubilation that the bulls were out pacing the bears. But it sounds like uh, just based on your quick analysis that it may be the other way. And, and so what, what, what does a retail investor make from all this? Well, yes, the strength since October has found quite a bit of bullish momentum. But we've actually been fading now in the stock market since, uh, uh, since the, really the first week of February. So the market has not been able to maintain the strength that it found when Powell first turned dovish in February. So we've been fading, and bears have pretty much been in control since February. Uh, this week, what we saw was a real shift towards deep economic concern. That's really important, because what I've argued here for the better part of a year and a half is that the stock market is basically in a lose-lose situation right now. And we're really seeing that play out. On the one hand, if the economy remains robust, and employment is firm enough, inflation stays rooted, and the Fed has to keep hiking rates and tightening policy, and that hurts stock valuations. That was the story of last year. However, as everybody knows, there's this concept in markets where bad data has been good for stocks. Where we get bad data and the market goes, oh, okay, the Powell doesn't have to hike as much. This can allow valuations to improve, and so they try and buy stocks. However, this has always been a flawed premise because ultimately what drives the direction of stocks long-term is their earnings, fundamental connection to the economy. And so economic data should not be good for stocks when it's bad. And we finally, it seems this week, really, really lost that mantra because there was a moment when jobless claims were a little bit higher, a.k.a. worse than expected, i.e. more joblessness than analysts had expected, the market tried to rally, but it didn't get anywhere because now we're at the point where if your only option to get a less aggressive Fed is for the economy to roll over, that's bad for stocks too. So pretty much it's bad if the data is too warm in employment because it has inflationary connections and help support inflation when people have jobs they can spend. Or the other scenario is the economy slows down and the employment situation worsens and the productivity slows and GDP slows and earnings slow and stocks go down. This has always been the sort of inevitable outcome uh, that um, I've seen and, and it's, I believe, coming to fruition right now. Oliver, you, you talked about Silicon Valley Bank, uh, which is the go-to for tech 
funding. What do we make of all this? So we have been talking with you for over a year, um, well over a year at this point, about the decline in some of these tech companies. I mean, what does this signal? I would think it signals that, hey, if you're running a startup, SVB may not be the place you want to go to or can go to. Does that mean you go out to other venture capital organizations to get money? And what does it mean more broadly for the tech sector if they can't access this capital? Well, it's a big deal. Um, What's really important here is that we are seeing the way crypto is connected to the economy. Another thing that I've been arguing for some time is that we cannot ignore what's happening in this particular sector because there's too much overlap with tech investors and technology businesses overall. They've all gotten mixed together over the last several years, especially during the COVID pandemic. We saw very high correlations between tech companies and crypto. The people who own crypto also own tech. The people that run tech run crypto. Mm -hmm. Jack Dorsey is a perfect example. He integrates crypto into his cash app business and to Square changes the name to Block. That's the most extreme example. Chip makers provide crypto mining tools. I mean, there's tons of real life connections, but the most important one is the investor base overlap between venture capital, Silicon Valley tech companies, crypto, and all of the mega cap tech that drives the overall stock market. And so Silvergate was the easiest thing to ever see coming. I mean, (laughs) as we've talked many times, MicroStrategy was a client of theirs. They got over levered. It's a classic case of just the crypto psychosis that was always doomed for failure. And so that one is arguably its own separate entity and problem, but it's really not because Silvergate was the first one to really go bust this week, and that's what set this all off. Silvergate goes bust, and then guess what? Silicon Valley. It's all in the name there, Silicon Valley Bank. Worked with Peter Thiel, worked with all the major venture capital companies and early tech investors, and a run on the bank happened. And they're not going to be able to redeem all of the holdings, uh, judging by what I've read, where there are significant chunks of deposits that are uninsured. So money is disappearing. Liquidity is disappearing. There is a run on banks. And so then what happens is it progresses its way out from the crypto epicenter. Silicon Valley obviously had crypto connections, but it wasn't a pure crypto bank. Then suddenly you have other regular everyday banks that are now feeling the crunch too. And we're really seeing how interconnected this all is. And it's a bit disturbing because the crypto prices, which ultimately are causing all this, are actually pretty calm right now. And that means there's still just shy of a trillion dollars in crypto. My view is that is all going to gravitate, approximate to zero over time. So that is basically the size of one of the biggest tech companies in the world. What would happen tomorrow if Microsoft went to zero? That's what people should be modeling, and nobody is. Oliver, um, you didn't paint us a very rosy picture this week. Usually you're very optimistic, but I'm going to end this saying – no, I think so. Well, I think I say sometimes. I mean, I, I think, think so. I, well, I think there are always little tidbits I'm and things. Happy, but I'm not an optimistic. Yeah, well, I mean, I, that's what I mean. All right, we're going to leave it there. Oliver Rennick, always Thank a pleasure you. chatting with you. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and we'll talk to you again very soon, my friend.
And that wraps up this episode of BRN Sunday. Have a topic of interest, somebody you think we should talk to, then drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news in lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more, and all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, we'll visit our website and, of course, all of our streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow with another fresh edition of BRN AM. We'll have a very special guest on a great topic. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe. Keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes.